in. Galatians chapter 2, and we pick up in verse 11. Some of you will be able to pick right up where we left off because you were here if you're new or haven't been here. As we pick up in Galatians chapter 2, Paul is still defending his true apostleship. His apostleship is of God, the rumor from the, from the Judaizers, which is what he was before he was saved. Those people that do not like what he's preaching, and the work that God's doing through him as, as he's evangelizing and people are being saved and God's using Paul to start churches, the Judaizers do not like it. So, they're telling lies against Paul. They're saying, hey, he received everything he teaches from man. He, and, and he's criticizing different things about him to the churches in Galatia. And what is happening with these churches in Galatia that have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, saved by grace, they're starting to listen to this idea of keeping the law to maintain or to earn a salvation. And they were talking about, you know, different apostles and that Peter... That Peter was over Paul. Peter was above Paul. Paul received everything he did from some apostles, some of them being Peter. So where we pick up in verse 11 is where Peter, hello, is where Peter was withstood. Peter was withstood in verse 11. It says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now, here is Paul coming before Peter, and it says he withstood him. That word means he opposed him. He stood against him. Not, not in what he taught, not in what he believed. They believed the same thing, but in something that he did. Now, understand he's, he's pointing this out because they were saying it was the other way around. But Paul had to oppose Peter about something. The Jews that were diseasing the Galatian churches might have told the story with Peter opposing Paul, but it was quite the opposite. You know, and there are still many today that hold Peter and esteem the Apostle Peter, much higher than they should, and it would do them good to read this account that we're about to share. Paul withstood Peter to the face. Now, that word face usually means just in the presence of, or something of that nature. That word is used the strongest here. It has its strongest meaning here than anywhere in the New Testament. And it means openly. He clearly condemned Peter's actions over something he did that I'm about to tell you, if you're wondering, in just a minute. He, he condemned his actions addressing him directly, right in front of everyone, right in front of uh, other Christians that were following. Followers uh, under Peter and his teaching, right in front of Gentile Christians, right in front of Jewish Christians. He rebuked him right in front of everyone. He, he condemned his actions. He, it says that Peter was to blame. And I'm afraid that as Christians we criticize people too much and, 
and look for opportunities to criticize people sometimes too much. That's not what this means here when it says that Peter was to blame for something that he did. It, it simply means that his action was something that is condemned by God. He was condemned not himself, but the action that he did. And we see what he did in the next verse. We see there in verse 11 that Peter was withstood by Paul. But in verse 12, we see that Peter waffled. You've probably never heard that for a point in a message before. We were at, uh, we were at winter retreat this past December and, uh, we had a guest speaker that came and, and he talked about how we sometimes live in a waffle. Now, a waffle, what does that mean? Well, a waffle has little squares in it, alright? So when we go off to school, or when we go off to, to work, as opposed to being here, it's kind of like going and adapting and compromising with your environment. However someone else talks, however someone else acts, whatever they believe, you just go along with it in that little square of your life. And then we come to church and we're in another square and we, and we live a different way and we act and we talk a different way. That's, it's compartmentalizing our lives. And, and any of us are capable of it because we're about to see that that's exactly what Peter did. Peter waffled. And it says, For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Talking about Peter. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Now, you remember the big council meeting that they had and they talked about should circumcision be required in salvation and, and, and Paul was at that meeting and, and what, what, what ruled was God's truth and that is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. No circumcision, no anything, no works, no anything else. And, and James was in that big council meeting and, uh, though it was outvoted, and though he was truly saved, he, he just couldn't let go to the Jewish tradition that he had been a part of. So, so Gentiles that had been saved, there was an agreement that, that, hey, you accept them, they're saved by grace. But he kinda, he kinda stiff-armed them, he just couldn't fellowship with them, and that's what he was trying to, uh, exude to others, and all of a sudden he hears that Peter is sitting down and having meals with the Gentiles. I mean, whether they're circumcised or not, and, and whatever they're eating, he's, he's starting to fellowship with them. It, it says he ate with them, but, but that word eat means more than that. It, that he was really getting close to them. He was in fellowship with them. And, and he had revelation from the Lord to do so. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9, uh, concerning what Peter heard from the Lord uh, about things to eat. And stuff of that nature. It says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, 
For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto me again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou uncommon. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So he had already received revelation, and and he knew that it was okay to be doing what he was doing. He was right when he was fellowshipping with them. But then, whenever James got rumor of it, and he sent some of the pillars in the church down to check on things, and Peter found out, he got up from the table. And over a period of, I don't know, a couple of days, a week, whatever, he just slowly separated himself from the fellowship that he had been having with them because of man. Not because of the Word of God, not because of truth, but he, he was too focused on man instead of the Word of God. So he lived in one square of the waffle with the Gentiles, and then when, when the, the Jews came down, he, and showed up, he got in their square of the waffle. And this caused conflict. And Peter's actions sent out conflicting messages. I mean, at first he was making the statement, it's okay, we can all fellowship together. And then he's drawing back, leaving the impression, well, I, I guess we can't. You know, what's going on here? So, so Peter was withstood because Peter waffled and Peter caused a wave. You know, uh, the teenagers and I went to the Astros game a while back and, uh, you know, like, like throughout the stadium, one row would stand up and you've seen it. Uh, they stand up and they sit down and they cause a wave and it goes all the way around the stadium. Well, Peter caused a wave, but but the one at the Astros game is harmless and it's fun. This one wasn't. And we see this wave in verse 13. Look what it says. It says, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Other Jews were eating with, that were saved, they were eating with the Gentiles too. By Peter's persuading influence. Peter was leading them to do so. And when Peter separated himself from them, so did the others as well. They followed what Peter did, even including Barnabas. Now Barnabas had been the most influential minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, second only to Paul. And Barnabas pulls away from those that he had been ministering to and just an amazing catalyst in God's work to the Gentiles. And he pulls away too. And Peter led him to practice hypocrisy right in the face of these Gentile Christians. This was a more devastating act than Peter's when you consider Barnabas's ministry. It was a huge betrayal to Paul as well. 
And this was something that was to be condemned. Our actions and what we do with our life, it is never just our business. It is never not the church's business. It is never not the preacher's business. What we do with our life is not our own business. You know why? Because it doesn't only just affect you and I concerning whatever we do. It always affects someone else. It was a domino effect from what Peter had done and affecting so many other Christians that were around and causing devastation. So so Peter caused a wave. And it, this affected Paul very greatly. It was concerning his ministry. and And so Paul was wound up. In verses 14 and 15, let's read. Paul says, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? You, you you get that because because for him to draw away he he was conforming to uh, Jewish tradition again and 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 just respecting that and rebuking so so why would you do that uh, why compel us of the Gentiles to live as do the Jews if you were living just right along with the Gentiles verse fifteen we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles Peter's actions showed wavering and uncertainty and insincerity, and it brought a lot of controversy in the church at Jerusalem. I mean, problems that could have been avoided. There's going to be enough problems because the devil's in and about and trying to do things. And he was working in this too. But wouldn't it be wonderful to avoid some of these things that it caused so many problems in in the church in Jerusalem? It sent Barnabas astray. It personally affected Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. So Peter doing this, it wasn't something just to keep hush hush and forever and, and to pray about. Well, you know, Peter was wrong. We're going to pray for him. Well, you know, let, let, let's, you know, bless his heart. We're just going to pray for him. It wasn't that kind of situation. It was something that where the bull had to be grabbed by the horns and this had to be addressed. It was doing too much damage and it did and it caused too much of a negative effect. It wasn't something to turn the other cheek from. He sinned against the, the gospel. He sinned before the church. So Paul rebuked him face to face in front of everyone. And Peter, he knew better. He knew what he was doing and he knew better already. And he was trying to keep peace with everyone and and looking too much at people and not the one standard of the Word of God which has you to act one way and to do one thing. He was trying, he was inconsistent and he was juggling the truth And he was juggling with what he was doing, depending on what this man was doing over here or what this man was doing over here. He was in a waffle. He lived as free as the Gentiles. Okay? Freedom in Christ. He lived just as free as the Gentiles. But when the Jews came around, then he picked up the law again. That law that he had been saved from the burden of. He picked that up again and and persuaded and influenced people by that. And now as we get into verse 16, there's more doctrine against the Judaizers' lies 
concerning salvation. Salvation is the most important thing. Salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the gift of God. That is what gives the human being eternal life, saved from the penalty of sin. And and the Judaizers have come into the churches in Galatia who knew the truth of salvation and started to try to tell them something else and shame on them, they started listening to them. And so it says in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul goes on to tell Peter, uh, what Paul goes on to tell Peter, this is an example, he's saying to Galatia, alright, and so what he goes on to tell Peter about salvation and about that situation that he was in, this is exactly what the churches in Galatia needed to hear. It's, he's killing two birds with one stone, if you will. And it's exactly what they needed. They needed to be refreshed and convicted on the one true doctrine of salvation. And in verse 16, there's no work we saw and read, there's no working for salvation. The Bible never ever teaches that a lost sinner keeping the divine law, which they can't do, grants salvation from sin. To be right with God is not a product of our own actions. It's, it's not a behavior issue, is something I heard a while back. Uh, to go to heaven, it's not a behavior issue. There, there's no working to it. To be, it comes by faith in Jesus Christ and then works grow out of our faith. We're working to to work to get something that that's carnal, okay? That that's what goes on in the world. We're working because of a gift that we have received, eternal life in Jesus Christ, the power of God within us, and it is causing an effect in us. That's spiritual. It is it is affecting us to work. That's it, so justification. Justification by faith. I know that's a big word, justification. It's such a beautiful subject. It is the, the day you were saved, God took away your guilt and replaced it. He didn't just take away your guilt. He imputed His righteousness. God's perfect righteous standard was given to you and I and all of our guilt was taken away. What a beautiful thing to be justified by faith. And to ignore justification by faith and to try to work for salvation, that's offering a human righteousness to God. That is offering a legal righteousness to God. And that's the righteousness that Isaiah talked about in chapter 64, verse 6, that says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So we don't work, we don't go down the dead end road of trying to work to get to heaven because there's nothing within us good enough to be able to do so. But the good news is that there's a free gift by grace through Jesus Christ and He gives us His righteousness. There's no working to it. And in verse 17, there's no wrongdoing on this justification by faith. 
It says in verse 17, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. Being justified by Christ doesn't mean it's okay to break the law. It doesn't, God's law, it doesn't mean it's okay to just sin all you want because you're sealed for salvation uh, and, and you're going to heaven. To be justified by Christ and that what matters concerning the law is that we're no longer under the burden of the law. When we look at God's perfect law, we can't keep it. We can't do it. We're going to break it. And if you break it at one point, you're guilty of all. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, So it's a dead end road and, and, it can, and it shows us we're guilty. It shows us we can't obtain God. But we're not under that burden anymore because Jesus Christ fulfilled God's law. He did it all for us. When He said it was finished on the cross, that's exactly what He meant. It is finished. So there's no wrongdoing with justification by faith. It doesn't mean that it's okay to break the law. It means we're no longer under the burden of it. And we're going to see in the next chapter that the law shows us, it shows a person that they're dead in trespasses and sins. And the law, so the law leads us to Christ. The law is a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ and so that we can abandon the guilt and the burden of it. So there's no wrongdoing in that. There's no working for it. And there is to be no wavering. You know, what Peter did, what Peter did when in freedom, he, he partook with the Gentiles in fellowship. And then when he separated himself and pulled himself away, he was going back to the environment or the mentality of what he had been saved from. Okay? So, so there's to be no wavering. Look at verse 18. Paul says, and he's so polite. He doesn't direct it just at Peter. He uses himself as an example. He's, you know, whenever, when Shelly was in church as a kid, she was sitting with her friends and she might not have been talking and her friends were and, and granddaddy would say, Shelly, y'all cut that out over there. And she wasn't the one talking. Well, sometimes she wasn't probably, but, but he was being polite to these other kids that weren't his kids. Uh, and, and so Paul uses himself as an example. He says, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Now, that's what Peter did. And, and Paul's using himself as an example in it. Peter ate with the Gentiles by way of liberty in the Lord, but he turned back to legalism under the law and divided himself from them. And, and, uh, Paul uses himself as an example here, but what he's really saying is, Peter, you sinned. You rebuilt what God tore down and destroyed through your salvation in Jesus Christ. What God tore down in that council meeting that He didn't let pass concerning trying to add something to your salvation. God tore that down and, and you're trying to rebuild what, what God already demolished out from over your head. No more guilt. Look, no wavering. As Paul's talking about it, it applies to Peter, and it also applies to the churches in Galatia. They're, they're letting someone talk them into going into a dir- direction as if to rebuild 
what God tore down when He when He came into their heart by faith through Jesus Christ. So there's to be no wavering. And and, and to look at what Paul's doing here, I doubt Paul really wanted to rebuke Peter to the face. I'm sure after he did it, he might have went and you know, when he was sitting all alone, and he probably second-guessed himself a little bit. I mean, sometimes we don't even realize what God's doing through us when we do it. And so, and so what God's doing something perfectly fine sometimes, but we'll sit down and second-guess ourselves. And so Paul probably sat and thought, man, I, uh, golly, Peter's my fellow brother in the Lord, my fellow apostle. And man, I, I tore him up right in front of, right in front of everyone. Boy, I really got him good. And so, and so, you know, he probably gave a thought or two at that. And, and Paul may wonder, Lord, why in the world did I have to go through that? Well, Galatia, the churches in Galatia, are presenting the same problem that is burdening Paul that Peter had experienced there himself, that God used Paul to help. You know, God gives the preacher, gives the preacher problems to troubleshoot, so he'll have the wisdom to troubleshoot future problems. He knows exact, these are, this is more than one church. These are the churches in Galatia. And, and, and by the experience that God gave Paul with Peter, he's giving him that experience to be able to calm and help and resolve this situation. Not just with one person. Now, at first it was, see, see, problems are, are small, and the Lord gives, gives us problems to handle, and then bigger problems come along. This isn't just one person, this is many Christians and churches in Galatia. And, and he has the, he has the, the know-how to be able to solve these problems and he can firmly say no wavering. But in verses 19 through 21, we see that there's no weighing concerning the law versus grace. And we live free. We see in verse 19, we live free. For if I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. We're dead to the law, through the law, because we tried to keep the law and couldn't. In other words, do the best you can, be nice to your neighbor, mow their grass, be a good citizen, and and work honest on the job, be honest to your spouse, What whatever people come up. I think God has a place for me in heaven because I'm a good person, because I'm good to my neighbor. Well, when we look at God's perfect law, it is through the law that it shines a mirror in our face showing us we, we might be right Right by the world standards, and we might be good, defined by the world, but when it comes to God, it takes perfection, which is no fair for us, because we lose, but, you know, that's our thought, but it leads us to Christ. He's the one that lived the perfect life. And the penalty of sin is death, and He died for, He died for all our sins. He he accomplished it for us. So we look at a law we can't keep. And it leads us to realize everyone in this world needs a Savior. And there's only one Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We live 
free. We tried to keep the law and couldn't see our need of Christ and abandon the dead-end road of salvation by way of the law because it has it, it can't happen. But when we trust in Christ, that law has no claim. It has no control over us. A, a failure to achieve a set of rules, which is God's rules, that we fail to achieve, it leads us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, which, and that, and that makes us free to live unto God. We, you know, John 8 36, Jesus says, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. What are we freed from? We're freed from the burden of the law. Sinner, sinners in the world think they have control of their own life and, and they have freedom. They can do whatever they want, but they can't live for God. They can't live acceptable to God. They can't live in relationship to God. And we're free in Christ. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And that's the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom from the bondage of the law that weighs us down with guilt, that we might be rid of it and live unto God. We live free in verse 19. In verse 20, we live by faith. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live by faith, I li- and the life I now live in the flesh, I, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We, we live free and we live by faith. Now we keep, and now, and now, as a Christian in the will of God, We keep God's law better than we ever would have trying to obtain heaven by doing it. Because we couldn't do it before. We were dead in our sins. We're alive unto God. And so we keep God's law better than ever before. But it's for a different reason. It's We do it in in a... The reason and the way we do it are different. We're empowered within... With the only one that did keep it, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live free. We live by faith. Verse 21, we live without frustrating. Frustrating the grace of God, that is. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You know, uh, my, Shelly and I had a garage sale some years ago, and every piece of wood furniture in the house was cherry wood. And my, my brother bought us a big, nice picture frame. He's so proud of it, bought it as a gift for Christmas or something. But it was like this color wood, and it didn't match anything. And so uh, <laughs> we never pulled it out of the plastic. And we had a garage sale and we, we put that picture frame in the garage sale. Guess who came to my garage sale? <laughs> my brother came to the garage sale. And I think that's the first thing he saw before anything in that garage sale. And he said, uh, Kenneth, what are you doing? And I said, uh, well, I... I, I, I <laughs> I don't think I said anything. I ended up not getting anything out of my mouth. You know, I was wanting to give a good excuse, but nothing would come to mind. So I just kind of stuttered and he took it back. He, he, uh, he even gave me the dollar 
I was asking for it and made sure he told me how much he gave for it. You know, and that's one thing with a little old picture frame. But, but to neglect God's gift and neglect the understanding of the thorough completion of the work it takes that came upon the Lord Jesus Christ for you and I to go to heaven, that precious gift that gives eternal life, and and to try, you can't throw it away, you can't get rid of it, but to try to throw it away and do something on our own. That's, that's the lie that was spreading through these churches. That's the compromising, waffling example that Peter was giving to the other Christians. And you know, I can't think of a better verse to close with than Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Unto good works. We're, we're not created in Christ Jesus by good works. That would be ours on this side of salvation. On the other side of salvation, we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's what He saves us for. He saves us to do those good works. The gift of salvation within us that is working and active in us living in the will of God and seeking His will is going to be having us do those good works after we're saved. And, and all of this, Paul using to justify himself that he is an apostle of God, that he received his revelation from God, God sent him off for three years, and alone to a group of people, he received revelation from God of the doctrine of Jesus Christ and salvation and everything that he knew that God was giving it. It came from God. He was an apostle of God. But... And as good as, you know, I, I'm sure some preachers just can't believe when something goes wrong in the church or someone goes off and believes another kind of teaching and, and it happened to the great apostle Paul. So, uh, the devil's constantly at work, but praise God, there's one truth and we can know it and we were able to share it tonight. And, uh, thank you for your kind attention. I consider it a privilege to have been in here. I hope you I hope it was conveyed. I hope you understood and, uh, and that God can bless. And at this time, I'm going to.